Now, home is a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure, fun. Who is it? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. Family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited to be here with you. My name is Elliot Voris, and I am the student minister here at Wildwood Christian Church, and I would love to extend the biggest welcome possible directly from my wife's office. I'm curious, where are you watching this now? In your house, are you in the family room with everybody watching? Are you still in bed? I would love to be just like that. I'm curious, let us know in the chat box or in the comments or text us and let us know. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm so glad to be a part of this church and I get to share some of what's on my heart with our church family. And thank you for joining us and for being here with us this morning, whether it's live with us right now, or if you are watching this or listening to this later on, I'm so grateful that you have chosen to take part with us and that you are connecting with us, even from a great distance. I would love to start this off this morning by playing a game of Would You Rather. You've got two options and you get to pick one of those two. And really, I would like to play this with my kids, but I want you to play along with us. So as my kids and I are playing this game, go ahead and put in the chat or in the comments or text us, wherever you can get a hold of us, what is your answer to the questions that I'm gonna present them? Hi. Hi. Guys. Hi guys. Would you rather have a pet doggy, a pet cat, or a pet dinosaur. Ready, go! <laughs> Would you rather drive a sports car, a monster truck, or be an airplane pilot? Ready, go! Ah! I promise you I'm We're gonna do a few rounds of Hey! Would you rather build with Legos, build with blocks, or build with cardboard? No, not yet. Ready, go! <laughs> Would you rather read Pinkalicious, Moby Shinobi, or a college textbook about the ancient Near East? Ready, go! <laughs> Would you rather eat a piece of chocolate cake, an ice cream cone, a double-decker ice cream cone, or a big old raw Brussels sprout? Ready? Go! Would you rather ride on a skateboard, on the roller skates, or on a scooter? No, not yet, not yet, not yet. Ready? Go! Ah! 
worked about as well as I expected. So it's pretty simple for my kids and really for any of us to choose between two options that we like, which one we would prefer. That's like a no-brainer, that's really simple. But it can be much more difficult to pin down the overarching, all-encompassing driver at the center of ourselves. What it is deep down that gets us up in the morning, that keeps us going day after day after day, that can be a tricky thing to discern. Maybe for some of you that is success, that you are driven by achievement and, and pursuit of perfection and climbing higher in the, the corporate ladder or in society. Maybe success is what you are all about and everything else comes under that umbrella. Maybe fun and adventure is really what you're after and that every corner, around every corner, there's a new and exciting day or a new exciting opportunity and maybe that is what's fueling and driving your path in life. Maybe you are just driven by popularity, that the likes on Instagram and the shares on Facebook are really what you're after and, and everything that you do, all the pictures and posts that you make are centered around that. Maybe you have a really definite sense of right and wrong and that your right and your wrong is exactly the same as everybody else's should be and that is what makes you go out into the world to help other people know what's right and what's wrong and how they should be living and how they shouldn't be living. Whatever it is that's driving you, whatever it is that's at the center, at the core of your experience and your existence, I'm willing to bet that it didn't come easily, that you didn't find out or discover or discern what it was that you were after just by deciding it or waking up one day and, and figuring out this is what I'm all about. And as true as that is for any of us as individuals, that's also true for our families. Maybe you've heard something like, we're a Twizzlers family. Or maybe we use Apple devices in this household. Or maybe you're a house divided between two universities. Your family would only ever eat at an IHOP, never a Denny's. And if you're gonna be extra fancy, maybe it's first watch for you. But the realist of us know that it's Waffle House. That's where it's at. We can easily know and predict and decide what our family's individual preferences are. The things that we like better than their competitors or the things and activities that we would rather do than other options. But sometimes it's tricky to know as a family what's the one thing. What is the main thing that we're driving for? What is the main thing that we're after? What is it that gets us moving in the same direction as a group of people? And in the Gospel of Matthew, I think Jesus deals with this question directly. And what he says is short and sweet, but it has some really profound implications for us. So if you didn't catch us last week, or if you just need a quick refresher, it's okay. We're looking for the next few weeks at a part of the book of Matthew called the Beatitudes. It's inside this Sermon on the Mount. And according to, to, and according to Matthew's gospel, this sermon is really Jesus' like entrance onto the scene. His first public ministry is happening in this giant discourse that he gives to all his followers. And at the beginning of this sermon, he starts with what's called the Beatitudes. 
And what he's describing in these Beatitudes is really what it looks like and how we behave as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That if we're going to be a real follower of Jesus, if we're going to be part of the family of God, this is how we will act, this is how we will behave, this is how we will treat other people. And it's counterintuitive. It's not like a typical organization where you got the CEO and the executives at the top and all the, the workers and everyone at the bottom. Jesus' kingdom is like this upside-down pyramid that the servants are the ones who shall be first. And the people who think they have it all together, who have all the stuff, who have all the power, those are the ones who are going to find themselves at the end of the line. So with all that being said, take it away, McAllisters. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you." So as you probably picked up as they were reading that, these Beatitudes are all about how to be blessed. And blessed, when Jesus used that word, was just another word for happy. Yes, happy is the right word. And it's not this like happy that comes because you're having a really great day or you found 20 bucks in your pocket that you forgot you shoved in there last week. It's this happiness that's rooted not in circumstances, but in this abiding joy from knowing that we are a part of God's kingdom. That's the happiness that he's after. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be Filled. And there are a couple of building blocks that I'd really like to kind of deconstruct from this verse so that we can have a better understanding of what Jesus is actually getting at here. What's the point he's trying to make? So, yes, I did, in fact, steal these from my kids. The first thing he says is, blessed are those who hunger. Now, the Gospel of Matthew uses the word hunger or hungry nine times. And eight of those nine times, he is obviously using it in a very literal sense somebody's hunger was filled, or they were hungry and they ate, so they were no longer hungry anymore, or as my kids get, hangry. Eight of those nine times, he's using it as this real, actual sense of my stomach needs food. But this time, it's a figurative sense of the word. Not that you are actually hungry for nourishment or food, but the feeling, the emotion of the word is still there. It's still a powerful thing. See, hungry means something different to us Americans than it did to a Palestinian 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' time, most people, the common folks, were living hand-to-mouth, I think is the expression that never made sense to me. They were never very far from starvation. They were living on subsistence wages, and they got paid each and every day. And so if you went a day without work, or if you went a day where you couldn't be hired, then you were actually close to starvation. There wasn't much room. And unfortunately, we live in a world where still so many people live in that level of poverty. 
Still so many people have to relive that painful cycle each and every day, while most of us in America have never had to wonder, have never had to be curious or scared of where our next meal might come from. A few times while I was in high school and in college, I participated in this event called the 30-hour famine, and it was a couple of things. The main goal was to raise money to feed hungry people throughout the world. But as part of that, you did a 30-hour fast. And I will tell you, as someone who likes to pack away the food, 30 hours is a long time without eating. And every time that I finished that event, I was so ready to gorge myself on whatever I could find and then probably throw up because my stomach is not ready for that in the slightest. When you are truly, actually hungry, like at the edge of starvation, you feel that. It is an all-encompassing desire, this movement towards feeding yourself, whatever the costs may be. And that's what these people would have heard. That's the audience that Jesus is talking to here. People who would have known what it means to be hungry in a very real and actual sense. Not like when we say to our spouse, what do you want to eat for dinner? And they come back with, well, I'm not hungry, but I could eat. These people knew hunger and they knew what it was like. When Jesus says those who hunger, these people knew in a real, actual, honest sense, what hunger was like. And the next building block is really similar. It says those who thirst. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, he was talking to a group of people who lived and died in the desert. And the desert, fun fact, is hot. <laughs> these people would have known what it was like to be thirsty. I know I've said this before, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's hot in Phoenix, Arizona. It is insanely hot in Phoenix, Arizona. And I know some of you right now are thinking, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Before you put that in the chat or in the comments, it's a dry heat, yeah, but that doesn't matter. The high for today, July 19th, 2020, is supposed to be something like 113 degrees. One, one, three. It is outrageously, unbearably hot in Phoenix. And I know some of you guys don't believe me. So here is a picture of the Sonoran Desert. Yes, Phoenix is actually located inside of a desert. That's where it is. It's hot there. Why four and a half million people would decide they should live in the desert, I don't know, but they do. And I'm not being overly dramatic, I promise. It's a very serious, actual threat. In 2017, 172 people died from the heat. It's no joke. And I remember as, as, a, as a kid, as a, you know, as a teenager, more than once getting dehydrated because I wasn't keeping track of how much water I was drinking or I was too focused on, on playing with my friends or having fun or whatever the case was. And it is so much more than just a dry mouth. Yeah, your mouth is dry, but so is like your nose and your throat. They're all scratchy and it feels like sandpaper. And you just sense that there is no moisture left. And you start to really wonder, what is it that's going to happen to me if I don't get some water in me soon? It is this all-encompassing, all-consuming need 
for water, for hydration. And when Jesus uses the word hunger and thirst, these people got that. These people understood what that meant, what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be thirsty. And when Jesus says that we're supposed to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he's not just saying like, we should nibble around the edges or yeah, it would be a good idea to drink more water. No, he's saying we have to be truly, fully hungry and thirsty for Jesus, for God, for their righteousness. In the next building block, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we hear that word, for many of us, it probably is a very churchy word. And it means something like our right standing with God, or that we are made right in His sight. And on the one hand, yes, that is one of the things Jesus is getting at here. Righteousness, our standing with God is made right. And we are always seeking to be more like Christ, to be closer to God each day more than the last. And the question that kind of drives us to that is, do we have this right standing with him? We need to be hungry and thirsty for more of what God has to offer. But righteousness is more than just our rightness. It means something much deeper. And I love the way I've heard this beatitude paraphrased. Blessed are those who ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. I just love that, how severely out of whack the world is. And I think that is something that resonates with all of us. We all know and understand that this world is not as it should be. There are things that are broken in this world that are messed up, that are out of whack. My oldest daughter, Journey, has such a keen sense of this that the world should be a fair place, that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And she is sure to let her siblings know what that right and wrong is. Just the other day, she cleaned up the whole playroom in the basement so that they could have toy school, where she's the teacher and Boston and Lennox are the students and so are some toys and everything had a place. Everything was in its center, in its station, and only during the hours of school could they be in there. They couldn't go in any time outside of that because they would mess up the right order that she had put everything into. It's a very solid sense of right and wrong that she has. And that's an important piece of what Jesus is getting at here. Yeah, he uses the word righteousness, but this, there's a flip side to that word, and your translation might even use the word justice instead. In order to be after righteousness, in order to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we have to be about bringing justice into the world, making the world a more right place. How can we, if we know that we are in a right standing with God, if we know that things have been made right for us, how can we not turn our attention to the suffering and injustice all around us. That's how Jesus is characterizing this, that our righteousness leads to a pursuit of justice, for standing up for the oppressed and being an ally for those who don't have a voice and speaking up when we have a chance to. And I think we all are keenly aware by July 2020 that this world, this country even, 
has some real unjust things that need to be addressed. The killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, those are just the tip of the iceberg for what the black community has been experiencing for decades, for centuries. And for those of us who are hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that God gives us, part of that hunger and thirst needs to be a drive to bring justice into our worlds, into our communities, into our country, into our workplaces, societies, schools, friend groups, wherever we find ourselves. We should be a force for good, a force to make all the bad things come untrue everywhere we see them. Righteousness, as Jesus describes it, is more than just our rightness. Justice means rightness for all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. What are you hungry for? Is it success? Is it money? Is it power, popularity? Or is it a sense of rightness and justice that we can and should be bringing into this world? So the last building block, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. Now, if you've been around Wildwood for any length of time, you've maybe seen or heard, you may, you've maybe seen or heard me talk about before how I've always kind of wanted to be a competitive eater. And wannabe is a good way to describe it there. But the truth is, for as long as I can remember, I've always taken a bit of pride in the amount of food that I can put down whether it's at uh, Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas or any really family function where there's food, it's always an internal mental scorecard that I've got running in my head. They're finishing up their first plate. He's already halfway through seconds. He's eyeballing third. It's my cross to bear. And it wasn't until recently that I was dethroned by my brother-in-law. I'm coming for you, Ben. But that's the sense that Jesus is talking about when he says hungry and thirsty, this, this unquenchable desire for more of what God has to offer, for more of his righteousness, for more of his justice in this world. And ultimately, there's not one of us that can fill that on our own. And notice, when Jesus says it, they will be filled. It's not the person who achieves righteousness. It's not the person who achieves justice that is blessed. They are blessed, those who pursue it, who are hungry, who are thirsty for it, who have this all-encompassing drive for more of what Jesus is about, for more of his righteousness, for more of his justice. God's the only one who can meet that need. We can't ever fully achieve righteousness or justice in this world. We can only do our little part and trust that God is taking care of the rest. And that's how our need is met. That's how he fills our need. It's the one who wants it with everything that they've got. More of righteousness, more of justice, more of Jesus. We can't be filled without God meeting our needs. We can't accomplish this on our own. We have to trust that Jesus is doing that for us and in us and through us in the world. And the truth is we won't be satisfied. We won't be filled as an individual or as a family until we come to this place where we recognize that we can't do it on our own and we give God 
the room to do it. When we know that we're not just a family that believes in Jesus, we are a Jesus-centered family. That Jesus isn't just a part of the equation, but he is the whole thing. That Jesus is that driving factor, that one thing, that main thing that our family is seeking after. More of Jesus, more of God, more of goodness and righteousness and justice, more of him. Okay, so we are talking in this series about families and how as a family we can live out the Beatitudes and be citizens of this kingdom of heaven. And so what I'd like to do with all this talk about hungering and thirsting and, and really seeking after Jesus I want to look at that through the lens that I know best, the lens of like a young family with, what are we, 30-somethings, young kids. And so if you want to live a Christ-centered life as a family, as a unit, as a, as a group of people, here's some steps that you could take. These aren't like an exhaustive list. There's a million more things that you could think of and there's no like progression like you have to do this one and then this one and then this one really honestly if you just take like any of these and put them in any order that you want and then just do some then you will as a family both grow together to each other but also grow closer to having that jesus-centered ideal in your family be hungry and thirsty together by this, we mean to make Jesus a regular part of the conversation. Some of the ways that you can do this are praying together at meals and at bedtime, um, making your kids pray. It's good practice for them to see how you pray, but also for them to pray um, together. You can read the Bible together. Sometimes with littles, that is honestly hard. The attention spans are small. Oh, sure. It really helps when you use kids' studies or devotionals that go along with that. We've even done some that kind of mix science with it, and they love that. Um, another thing is making church a priority. Sunday, is it for your family? Is it when game day is, or is it when you worship together? Is it, do you Sabbath? Do you teach your kids about Sunday and what Sunday means to them? We go on hikes. Um, on the hikes, we point out how, how God has created all of the things, the birds, the squirrels, the deer. We're not usually quiet enough to see deer. But that way the kids see that, that God is in all things and that he created it all. We just talk to our kids about them and their likes and their dislikes, their passions, um, how different and unique they are, how beautiful we think they are, and that is because... God made them that way. And even though our kids are different, they're beautiful because God made them that way. And that is just something to instill in them that can grow to see how it applies to other people outside of our family. Yeah, so we're trying to be hungry and thirsty together to really seek that his kingdom first attitude as a group. But we can't just end there, right? The, we're not just hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we're hungry and thirsty for justice as well. And so we also need to do the work together. We have them join us in our efforts uh, to make this world a better and more just and more equitable place for everyone. Yeah. 
We teach them about justice issues that are happening. We brought our kids to a Black Lives Matter march and as exciting and hectic as it was, I think that really opened their eyes, that opened the conversations about not everyone has the same experience as you do. And that sometimes there are things that we can and should do to try and address some of those. We also talk to them very carefully and intentionally when they get in trouble. And we all know kids get in trouble all the time. <laughs> but when they do, we don't just punish them. We don't just give them a timeout or a grounding or a spanking or anything. We tell them what it is that they've done wrong, but also how to make it right. What they can do better and differently next time. And Honestly, it leads into conversations about forgiveness and how they can forgive one another and how they are forgiven ultimately by Jesus. We also include them when we make service projects a part of our life. Uh, We've made those like sock kit things for the homeless people. And honestly, it's one of the best things that we do to just keep some of those stuck in our van. And when we are out and we see somebody who's got a sign, we can just give them a, a... a little package with socks, some food, some toiletries, and that really makes a difference in the lives of people who need that. We've raked leaves with them before for people who can't do that kind of stuff on their own. And we've, one of the things lately, we've been talking to them a lot about why it is we are stuck at home. And I'm sure you all have been too. Why it is we have to wear masks, how we are not the only people that our actions affect. And we're teaching them empathy and we're teaching them how to prioritize sometimes the needs of others, the needs of the community above what they would rather do on their own. How to be a good neighbor. Exactly. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your words and the guidance that you give us in how at times we, we think that, that we're just kind of stranded, but your word always gives guidance, God. I pray that you would help us to hunger and thirst um, for more of you, for righteousness and justice, God. Help us to, to bring passion into our families and, and raising our families to love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.